So I did drunken clothes master. <laughs> and I mastered two clothes. I did really well. <laughs> That's like the most language drunk thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> Welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Williams. Hi guys, just a quick reminder that the Creative Language Learning Podcast is sponsored today by Clothesmaster. If you want a language learning app that delivers and keeps you hooked, you need to get on Clothesmaster. It's super addictive and open to a huge range of language learners thanks to its amazing 50 languages. To support our show today, go to clothesmaster.com slash CLLP where you will find a bonus video with tips from me and a special voucher to use if you decide to try out their pro membership. So that's clothesmaster.com slash CLLP and I'll see you there. Hello, hello, language lovers, and welcome to episode 69 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast, as always with me, Kirsten Cable, and as so often with my wonderful co-host, Lindsay Williams from Lindsay Does Languages. Hey, Lindsay, how's it going with the languages? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. Yeah, doing very well today. And you're still out in Mexico? We are indeed. Although by the time this goes live... Probably not, but yeah, last last week in Mexico, I've been here almost six weeks. Oh, which wow. Is crazy long in one place because we've only been in one city, but it's it's very nice and it's very exciting at the minute because it's Day of the Dead. Ooh, so what's Day of the Dead about? Well, interestingly, I think a lot of people, and myself included before I came here, kind of think that there was like a connection maybe with Halloween and Day of the Dead. But as far as I'm aware, Halloween originated, I think, in Ireland. Um, and Day of the Dead actually did originate in Mexico. It's a totally different stuff, right? Um, but it happens at the same time. And I think, I mean, we're recording this on the first mm-hmm. and everything we've read is like from the 31st to the second is like the thing. So there's almost no Day of the Dead. It's like Days of the Dead. But even before that, there was this whole Feria de las Animas. Um, like festival of the souls right yeah for like a week before even maybe 10 days before this before the 31st so there's just been stuff going on for ages there's just like festivals and and on friday there was a big um sort of it was called the walk of the souls paseo de las animas oh wow and there was that was through the city that was really impressive that was like the biggest thing we've seen for it so far. So, I mean, I would have been disappointed if we thought, oh, 31st to the 2nd. OK, let's book tickets to Mexico for then. And we would have missed the big the big show already. So advice, if you want to see Day of the Dead, come here for a little bit of time, preferably before and during the dates that are typically prescribed to Day of the Dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. This yeah. is interesting. This reminds me of um, Germany. I mean, it's in England, I think this this happens too, but much, much less because the the public holidays in England are just so secular. Whereas in Germany, where we have more religious holiday, today is actually a public holiday. It's all oh. all ha- all All Saints Day, Allerheiligen. Well, maybe we should make Guy Fawkes Night a public holiday. Ah, Guy Fawkes Night, yes, which is a very British. Oh, just the whole thing is so British. Like, we're celebrating a person who tried to blow up our government. Yep. Because Brexit? 
that's like this. I don't think Brexit had anything. To do. <laughs> no, that's that true. We needed to celebrate Guy Fawkes Night. No, it, it's fun. But I think they do do it in other parts. I think maybe like New Zealand, Australia. They yeah, have Guy Fawkes Night, which is ah. quite cool. But yeah, and this is also the time of Diwali. You know the the Hindu mm. is it Hindu festival? You know the Indian festival. So yeah. I love I love this time of year. I'm not a big fan of autumn and winter, but I love the time when all the evenings get darker, at least in yeah. the northern hemisphere. And a lot of cultures counteract this by putting by somehow coming up with lots of different variations of celebrations that bring a little bit of light into the world. Be it Halloween, be it Dia de los Muertos. Am I saying that right? Be it Dia de los Muertos, be it Allerheiligen in Germany, be it Diwali. It's lovely, isn't it? It is. It's very nice. Yeah. But you've not been, you know, you've not just been sitting and watching parades, right? So there's, um, you've been collecting language stories and I wanted to ask you to introduce us to the idea of language stories. So tell me a little bit more about what exactly language stories is all about so i have a podcast kirsten <gasps> yeah it's called the creative language Zone podcast right yeah and and then i started one. Oh, yeah. you've caught the bug yeah well when we when we originally set off well before we set off obviously it wasn't just a snap decision on the plane um we, i knew that we wanted to do something with languages for this year that we're away and we wanted to kind of share that in some way obviously Ashley does all the video for Lindsay does languages so there was always going to be video involved but I wanted some kind of creative outlet with it as well and I thought okay how about a podcast like we decided to kind of you know meet people and and talk about languages in certain places and talk about certain languages along the way and it just made sense we'd have these interviews it made sense to have this in both formats. So each episode of Language Stories, there's a video and there's a podcast. So you can either enjoy it in your preferred format. <laughs> if you know, if you can, if you're a podcast listener, you can do that. If you prefer to watch video, you can do that. Or because they're, you know, Ash is making the videos and I'm making the podcast, they kind of have, they've ended up with these different slightly different views on the whole thing Mm -hmm. the particular issue of each episode so it's really interesting like I've really enjoyed making the episode so far and then watching Ashley's video and going ah interesting I didn't use that clip of of that person's interview because I picked out on something else that's different so they they actually complement each other really nicely um but like I say it's not like Harry Potter, you don't have to read the whole thing to <laughs> to follow along. You can pick and choose, like those Enid Blyton books. That's how I'm describing it. Ah, so it's a video <laughs> you know the, show you know, and, a, and an audio. Yeah, you know those books where you like pick your own mystery and it's like, if you want to open the box, go to page 49. <gasps> oh, and choose your own adventure des- books. Yeah, right? So you're yeah. deciding how it's going to happen. So you, you can pick, mm-hmm. you can mix. Oh, great, or great. Or you can just enjoy the whole thing, the video and the podcast every time. Yeah. Um, and there's, we're, we're planning on weekly episodes. One week is like a full episode, kind of like 15 to 20 minutes. And then the following week is a mini episode of like a sort of slightly smaller story, generally with like less um, sort of interviews, you know, more about interesting places or interesting languages that we weren't expecting necessarily to to find um so it's kind of like a full episode followed by a mini episode 
followed by full mini etc and yeah so far the first episode is november 10th set in new york new york city um and it's it's fun it was a lot of fun to make we spoke to some really interesting people and uh and, and got some really interesting perspectives on the most multilingual city in the world which seemed like the perfect place to start Mm, yes and I've I mean you've you've sent it you've sent it over to me so I've had a little advanced listen yeah um and I must say it's been it's been really interesting so as a listener what you can expect is this sort of overview very very brief overview um because there's just so much you know diversity in New York um but an overview of what multilingualism in New York is like and so many different voices you also get a variety of angles so I thought it was very interesting and each episode follows a specific place's story so I can't wait until we do a crossover episode and we travel to Germany together and we talk about Luxembourgish and Mosul Franconian that would be amazing I have I have like a list of plans of like okay here's season one here's where I want to go season two here's season three we're already into season four with that Germany idea. I love it. <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. Yes, and we can stay at the vineyard and oh, it'll all be fantastic. So that is Language Stories. And if you're a listener to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, I think you're going to enjoy Lindsay's ventures into various different places and to discover the language, the linguistic landscape or the multilingual landscape, really, right? of those places so do you have a special website for it or shall people just look for language stories in itunes etc yeah so wherever you listen to podcasts wherever you're listening to this if you search language stories it should pop up um and then if you want to watch the video as well as or instead of just head over to youtube and type in into these languages language stories and it will it will be there there'll be, there'll be a playlist on uh, on my channel page and you'll find the homepage as well in the show notes. Yeah. So I'm going to put that in there. Um, and while you're out there subscribing, please don't forget to rate the Creative Language Learning Podcast just while you're in your podcast. you're feeling about. They're called, aren't they? <laughs> That's right. While you're milling about in the podcast app, just, you know, send us some love over here. It's very, very much appreciated. And send some love to our sponsor as well. Thank you very much this week. We're sponsored by... Close a master again. That's close with a Z and lots of success. And honestly, I was doing Lindsay, I have a confession. Okay. I was doing <laughs> Um yesterday it was my husband's birthday and he has a birthday tradition. We have to watch the film Halloween three. So yesterday was Halloween. I know you're not listening to this at Halloween, but this is when we're recording it this this time, so I can catch Lindsay in Mexico. Um, so my husband's birthday is Halloween and our tradition is we watch the film Halloween 3 season of the witch because he thinks it's not terrible apparently or maybe he enjoy I don't know it's terrible and um, we were drinking I gave him some really fancy liqueur for his birthday so we were having um, white Russians mm. and as I was going to bed I thought oh I'm just gonna you know like gonna do something to relax so I did drunken clothes master and I mastered two closes. I did really well. <laughs> That's like the most language no. drunk thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> like most people were like, oh, I got drunk and I got naked and danced around in the street. I don't know. And, and they're like, no, I just got drunk and did clothes master. <laughs> 
Yes, so I did drunken clothes master, um, bravely navigating my, well through, my way through Welsh, but also just kind of while I was out there, um, I was getting bold and doing more Breton, so having lots of fun. So whether you are sober, whether you are tipsy, um, or whether you are tired or awake, you know, check out Clothesmaster and you can go to clothesmaster.com slash CLLP and later in the show we'll have a little clip to remind you as well. Okay, so we have covered Day of the Dead on a podcast and I need to tell you about a word and then I've got a very special tip to share with everybody. So do you want to hear my, my word of the... Word of the week, really. This is a word, a word I have just learned. Um, and this is going to give us our explicit rating. So it's not a crazy explicit word, but I think it is actually explicit. Um, so if you are listening with, I don't know, little kids or something like that, please, you know, we'll, we'll follow the Big Guy podcast and just tell you, you know, put some headphones on or just skip the next two minutes. Um, but I want to ask you, Lindsay, because I don't know. Have you ever heard the, <laughs> have you ever heard the word chode? Yeah. Oh my god, you know this already. Is is yeah, that's not a new word. To me this is just was absolute news. It maybe it was the context I heard it in as well. So what okay. is it what does it mean to you? <laughs> oh now I don't know. So when I was younger this word this meant like a short fat penis. But in what context would you ever say that? Like I don't like know. as an insult, like in sort of secondary school or people would say that as an insult. Oh, wow. Okay, well, maybe I'm just an old lady then. <laughs> so I heard it as a, I don't know, I heard it on the Dan Savage podcast, which is a sex and relationships advice show that is really enjoyable to listen to because um, it's also about respecting each other and, you know, many, many varieties of um, how people interact. And they used it almost exclusively to describe a person who posts revenge porn about you on the internet. Right. So that's interesting. So revenge so, do you want do you know what revenge porn is? Yeah, it's not very nice, is it? It's if you were to take like uh like film yourself doing doing things with someone and yeah. then you fell out and then you posted on the internet, right? Yeah, or if you sort of, if you wanted to send your other half or somebody, you know, a flirty picture and maybe you're sort of naked, half naked, or a bit yeah. a bit revealed in the picture, um, which is very common these days because we've all got cameras in our pockets. Um, and then that person after, yeah, after a breakup would post that on the internet or might, I don't know, email it to your boss or something else that is in mm. extremely disrespectful and inappropriate. And that was... They described consistently throughout the show this person as a chode. It makes sense because it would be an insult because it would be saying that that person, as far as I know the meaning of the word, has a short fat penis and then is a short fat penis. Just like the how the word, for example, dick then morphs into dickhead and then to call someone a dickhead, you know, they don't literally have a penis on their head, but it's then, I don't know, it's insult insults are kind of interesting right mm. how they kind of evolve and i guess because it's quite a funny sounding word chode chode yeah so i looked it's, it up it, in urban dictionary the um very yeah. respectable source of all all things linguistic absolutely um and according to them it, it it's related to this to a spanish word choda um but it also comes from a hindi word chodna which can just mean to fuck 
Sorry, I will let you know, listeners, when, so, <laughs> when we stop saying swear so, words. Uh, so now I'm confused. So was there nothing on Urban Dictionary that said that said it means a short, fat penis? No, everything said that. Oh, okay, right. It's okay, just okay, it was okay. it was news to me. Like I have never used this word before. Oh, I'd never yeah, even heard I mean, this word. As as a non-native speaker, it's not exactly going to be in your memorized course, right? Oh, I, I, true I that, of, true that. I think it's fine that you've never heard of it. I think it's very specific vocabulary. So it's not American slang. So I wondered if it's particularly no. you. Okay. But I've never heard it used as an insult. I've never heard someone say, oh, he's such a chode. That's wow. kind of, that sounds kind of like, okay, that's someone yeah. inventing new slang to me. That's the way Dan Savage used it as like, they are mm. just chodes. So I'm going to put the Dan Savage show in the, is it called? The, it's called the Savage Lovecast. I'm going to put that in the, um, in the show notes as well, in case you want to listen to the episode where they talk about this. Okay, bing, bing, bing. We are now a clean show again. Um, you can get your kid out of the cupboard and we are moving on. Good Lord. <laughs> I hope no one put their kid in a cupboard. I, I hope so too. <laughs> okay, so like, shall we talk about something nice? So after after I have been outed for not knowing words that to you struck me as like, for you this is basic, huh? This is like, yeah. Oh said that when oh, i was 12 no, i don't know it's like not not 12 not 12 it's it's a specific interesting word. yeah like i think probably it's one of those words the first time you hear it you're like wait what does that mean you know it's not in the biology textbook mm. so you know what i can do now that i've learned this word okay mm, smoothly segue into the tip and give myself a high five and a reward because my tip, okay. my language, <laughs> nice sorry, my language learning tip this week is um, I've been thinking about planning your language learning and sort of, you know, like starting and finishing your language learning week um, as I am working on a new worksheet to help people plan, you know, plan and finish the language learning week. And I was thinking it would be a really nice thing to do um, to, to give people a space to note down how they will reward themselves. For me, this is something that I have started doing as I plan my week. I sort of write down um, what are the fun bits I'm going to do this week. Not just my to-do list, because that's too long already. I write down something that I'm going to enjoy, or I might write something like, and then on Friday, I'm going to take two hours and I'm going to buy myself the shoes that I have needed for the last two weeks and ignored, or something like that. So so it's all about rewarding. So my question or my, my thought for listeners today is sort of how can you reward yourself when you reach those study goals? And maybe do you and should you give yourself a reward even if you don't reach the study goals? So where do you stand on rewards, Lindsay? Do you work with this? Do you do this? Huh. It's an interesting one. You're very, you're very organized or, or very routine-oriented already, right? Yeah, I think... A lot of the time, and I'm I'm looking, I think, um, at these notes, I think Andy said a similar thing to kind of how I feel, like the good feeling of completing a project. Mm -hmm. That's off, Often that's kind of enough, unless it's something massive. Um, so like right now, when we're recording this, the online teaching starter kit, like yeah. my biggest course for online teachers is, is open for enrollment. So the day that that opened for enrollment, you know, I've been building up, doing all the work, duh, 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 duh. it's like, okay, let's go out and have, have dinner out. Probably the day that it closes, it's like okay, whew, that's 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 over, mm -hmm. that's, you know, and, and reward. But in terms of language learning, I don't know. Like, hmm, I, I guess if if there's something big that I was doing, like if I had a test, 
Mm-hmm. If I was doing something on like a course and I had a test and then I passed the test, then I would reward myself. But generally, because it's the way that I've sort of integrated it into my life, it almost has become, I mean, maybe this, you know, I'm not saying this is a good or a bad thing. It's almost become not worthy of reward because it's just like a habit, just like brushing my teeth. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. And so I mean, it just happens. it's certainly that the, the idea sure of the is. habit is definitely desirable. And then I was thinking like habits often have you know, like a trigger an action and then some mm. sense of reward and i think sometimes your reward can be external and sometimes your reward can come from the inside and for me it's also like the feeling of i've done something especially if it's something like answer emails after after they've been sitting there for a week it makes me feel mm. good so i don't really need to like reward myself because i already feel so relieved that it's a good feeling but yeah, so I posted, um, I, I thought maybe let's run through the list or like, you know, share a few suggestions. And these are suggestions from, from my Facebook group. I posted in there and I asked other people, like, do you reward yourself? Is this a thing? And um, certainly a lot of people came up with really great suggestions. Elfin says she um, gives, you know, um, enjoys a nice coffee, buys herself a nice coffee. And especially that feeling of allowing yourself time out to just be in the cafe and enjoy the world around you and that to me is something as well that I love people watching and don't necessarily allow myself the time out always and that felt like a great reward because it's not very expensive and it really is Mm. something that you can do for yourself Um, also reading a good book Cristobal, which um, Cristobal shared a tip that I thought I'm I'm way down with that. Um, It's uh, to buy yourself some new stationery. You know, get yourself a nice notebook. You know, like get that pen you've been looking at. I'm a bit of a stationery person, so I like that one. Um, And then I think this came from Carlos. Um, I think it came from Carlos. Yeah, which was to go out and you know to, to to treat yourself to going out um and meeting speakers of your own language oh you know so speakers of your own language oh no sorry your target language so instead of it being need a reward for me in do you think about this right yes exactly I i would do that and then i'd be like okay i did that that was like really brave now i'm gonna go and reward myself or whatever but you know what i mean it's it's interesting. How it I can kind of see it because like last year when I went to Wales and I went to the Stafford, that felt like a, a reward and a celebration for me. And it mm. was partly because the the main purpose of it was not just for me to practice. You know, it, it, because if 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 you do that, then almost you are you're already putting yourself as deficient. But it was just like, no, I'm I'm celebrating. So I'm preparing for this. And then when I'm there, I don't need to get better while I'm there. I just need to have fun. Yeah. See, I guess Paraguay will be that same thing for me, ah. like with Guarani. And then by the time we get there, we'll be like, okay, this is what I've been working towards. Oh my God. So yeah. That, yeah. That's like the reward then, right? Yes. Yeah. So then it's not, and this is, I really like that because it gives us a different perspective of thinking about this whole like native speaker thing. Not like this is my means to get better, but it's like, this is where I have fun. Mm, mm. And then that, that, I like that a lot. So that sort of, I really liked that perspective. That was an interesting one. Um, and then Carlos also said, I think the way he phrased it was like, I'm learning German at the moment. And when I get my A1 certificate, that will be a, such a great reward for me in itself. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah. it's that satisfaction of achieving the goal in itself. Yeah. And then I still think it's worthwhile to just remind yourself, like I will reward myself by 
achieving this goal because it puts that goal back into your mind. Yeah. The bigger one. So that was really good. Um, okay, so Margaret, she's a musician, so she wants to go to concerts. Andy, like you just mentioned, loves the good feeling of just generally fulfilling the project or achieving the project. I think some of us more than others feel that. For me, I have a, yeah. I have a hard time knowing when I'm done. Right, yeah. So, See, this is the thing. This mm -hmm. is the thing. We've like when should I reward myself? Is it just a case of, oh, I did my memorize for a week. Okay, that's worthy of a reward. Mm. Or is it when, oh, I've, I've, I'm able to talk for 15 minutes. Okay, that's my reward. But I mean, like, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't know when to mark those boundaries, I guess. Ah. When it should happen. And this is where I thought that discussion was really interesting, where it, it kind of branched off because... I think, yes, you should reward yourself because especially if we're thinking about it as a habit and if you're in the early stages of establishing that language habit, like you, you might have, you might be at a point where you do, you know, it's the same as with me. It kind of feels natural. Like it's just something that when I get, when I get tipsy, I go and close master, <laughs> you know, but you know, like there's a certain extent where it just happens. But if you're not at that stage yet, And you're early in your language learning, you're still going, oh my God, I've got this mountain to climb and it's going to be so hard. It's going to be such a nightmare. I think the mere act of climbing, no matter if you reach, I don't know, sub-summit 3.2 or not, the mere act of keeping it, keeping going and doing it and doing it and doing it is something in itself that should be rewarded and should be reinforced. So you should congratulate yourself for that. And also that's how progress happens. Like progress doesn't happen when we're looking and we're waiting for it. Progress happens when we're doing the thing. You know, this is it the CEFR? Did I get those letters in the right order? Yes, you did, yeah. I, f I feel like they should replace it with mountain analogies of like <laughs> base camp. Yeah. Summit. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but, but I mean, who knows what the things are between base camp and summit though? I, I, I didn't, hence why I went from base camp to summit with nothing in between or above. I don't know. <laughs> This is really good because in the book, Becoming Fluent, is one of my favorite language books, um, the language tutor, they talk about how a language tutor should really be your Sherpa, which is another mountain climbing mm. thing. You know, it's like the person who sort of knows already how this all works. But really, it's you climbing the mountain. It's just they are there with you and they guide you through it. And carry your bags. And they carry your bags, yes. So, and, and I took that as a really wonderful, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed that analogy of the, the, the person climbing, climbing a mountain as in climbing mountain language as well. So I'm, I'm on the side of reward yourself if you do the thing. Don't ever scold yourself for not achieving your goals because I think doing, making an effort towards the goals and even recognizing the goals, you know, like making a goal in itself is, can be really scary because you set yourself up for this mm. feeling of I haven't gotten there. So I think well done you if you, if you are doing that and you deserve a reward. And shall I give you the, the very hammers reward suggestion? <laughs> Okay. This came from Mama Hammers. It's my final, um, my final reward idea, I guess. Um, Mama Hammers is my mum. <laughs> so my mum, danke, Mama. Uh, she said she really likes a nice glass of Riesling because she's a winemaker. Um, so that's wine um, and cheese. Ah. On a nice relaxing evening. And I love that she, she, you know, she got involved. She says, yeah, I reward myself. Um, and knowing my mum, this is not a woman who's ever really 
needed to set herself sort of big goals. It's not really, you know, it's just like, you know, just getting through and doing the thing. Yeah. That we do. But yeah, so there's definitely this thing of like, some people feel like I never reached the goals I set myself. Some people felt like I don't deserve a reward yeah. because I don't get there. And I wanted to, to me, if I think you deserve a reward. Well, so anyway, what do you, what do you think about all that? I, I, oh man, it's, it's, there's a, there's a lot. There's, I think it's so much of this is connected to a sort of individual uh, personality, you know, and how we operate on a sort of individual level, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm looking at some of these thinking, okay, I can see that. And then thinking, no, like mm -hmm. the ones where you're buying stuff. For me, that's not a reward because I, f I find it really hard to spend money as a reward, Because then it's like, well, now I've spent money and I didn't really need that. Or did I do the thing well enough to deserve to spend that money on the reward? Do you know what I mean? So for me, it has to be something that's free or very cheap. Ah. So so like, um, and it's kind of like food. I, I find food a terrible reward. Because then it's like, like I, I've, I'm, I'm really like sort of um, open to food. Like I'll happily like have a, cake or a bar of chocolate or whatever and be like that's fine like I'm, I'm not then going to be like oh no I feel really guilty or whatever mm -hmm. but what I do then feel is like well that wasn't a reward because I would have like a I don't know a, a slice of cake right that wasn't necessarily a reward maybe I would have preferred to buy um, like an expensive fruit that I would never buy and then it's healthy as well so then, so then I find food a really bad reward personally, but I totally get why it works for other people. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, the idea of the reward, I guess we, there's a lot of conditioning in there, right? Of what we yeah. consider a treat. I think there's a yeah. lot of, there's a lot of in our upbringing in there as well. Like to me, um, I know what my, like when I think, look at what my mom says, I know what she means by the glass of wine. And she doesn't mean, oh, I wouldn't normally allow myself wine because she is a winemaker. Of course, you know, like we have a very healthy um, relationship to, to alcohol in that sense. However, it stands for when you actually have that glass of wine, taking the time, sitting down and actually enjoying it because we would never thoughtlessly just drink down mm. a glass of wine. It's about mm. allowing yourself the... And that is, the, I think, the real indulgence there is to just sit down and, and the same as like, you know, going for a coffee isn't really... The coffee isn't the reward. It's the... It's allowing yourself that space. And in a world where we do have so many pressures, I think, coming in at us... Allowing yourself the space to just chill and be for a while, I can completely connect to how that feels as a reward. And for some people, and, and then it becomes about what can you give yourself that would demand your attention or that, that where you feel like I connect this with leisure and with indulgence. Mm. Although indulgence is is perhaps a, a dangerous concept in itself, but yeah, we certainly have to peel it. We certainly had a split, didn't we, between the people who said, "Interesting, I want to treat myself because I want to treat myself nicely," and and I mean we come out of. I think many people don't treat themselves very nicely 
in society. Mm-hmm. So, so that's kind of my my angle on this whole thing is that like we're already so hard on ourselves. Like the many people well, we who said, are I never f- critics. Right? Yes, yeah. Like the way that the way that that everyone talks to themselves, we wouldn't dream. Well, most people at least wouldn't dream of talking to other people that way. Exactly. And then when I look at people who say, oh, I, I never reach my goals, so I don't deserve any rewards. That's why I'm thinking, well, mm. it's actually the journey is the reward. And then in that context, I can see how it is such a wonderful reward, anything that allows you a moment to kind of let up on your inner critic. And for some people, it needs to be that, you know, like for some people, food is that thing where the, you are self-critical all day long. So you need to put a narrative around cake for example, where you go, I deserve this now, I've worked for this. Yeah. I mean, like I say, like, I don't mind, like, I can I can happily, like, have a slice of cake as a reward or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then I think, well, this slice of cake in Costa cost me three pounds. But yet, when I'm in the supermarket and I see a mango, and I'm like, it's a bit expensive. One pound fifty. One pound fifty. It's weird, isn't it? Our price perception in different places. Yeah. And then that makes me think, well... Maybe I shouldn't have that cake. Maybe instead a better reward would be to buy two mangoes for that price, which I'm going to enjoy more because they're healthier as well as. Do you know what I mean? I, so, yeah, I find, yeah. so then I find it really, I don't know. I don't know. Food's just I, just, I just don't reward myself with food. I just eat like well and then eat what I want to eat on a regular basis. And then food as a reward isn't a problem because then I just reward myself in other ways. Mm-mm. you know yeah well you have an, an uh, f- for me like you have an unusually healthy relationship with food do you think if there know. if there is chocolate in your house is it there for more than a week hmm if the answer is yes compared, then you're compared. like you're doing better than i am <laughs> for, for sure to, uh, to, to ashley no like <laughs> if I open something then it will get eaten probably within like a week. Like, but, I'll, but I'll ration it out. Like I'll have maybe like, you know, a square a day or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then Ashley will get like, you know, being a teacher in primary school, will get gifts at Christmas, Easter, whatever, end of year. You know, we'll have boxes of, of chocolate and stuff. And I'll be thinking, hmm, I'm a bit peckish. I could do with the little chocolate. <gasps> I can't open them. They're not mine. And he'll have them there for, for like a whole year. They'll last until the next batch of, of gifts. I don't know how he does it. So compared to that, then yeah, I, I, I do, if I open stuff, eat it. But then I just won't buy the thing in the first place because otherwise it just gets eaten, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so much in this. So much in this. So the creative um, healthy eating podcast. <laughs> Switching back to language. But it's, it's interesting sort of, and that's kind of the second tip perhaps for, for listeners. So my first one is really, if you are, no matter if you exactly achieved a goal or not I think as long as you've made progress and as long as you've stuck with things and you you have already displayed that discipline that you do need for language learning you I think you you know well done and treat yourself flipping heck and if you know whether you spend money or not so that's why I'm glad that there are certain tips here who that that absolutely which absolutely don't require you to spend money Mm. you know going and listening to some nice music doesn't necessarily have to cost a lot of money or treating yourself to, you know, just an afternoon out, sort of slowly walking around town, going on a shopping trip. So I do a lot of window shopping and I really enjoy it. Um, so, you know, whatever, it doesn't have to involve spending money. It doesn't have to involve 
the added calories. However, if that's the way you do it, then that's that is totally the way you do it. Um, and either way, if you do listen and reward yourself, please let us know. You know, like send us send us your personal rewards. It's been really great to hear from so many people. And I'd love to hear from you guys. Just tell us what you. You know, tell us what you do when you've done well or tell us what you do after a, after a slightly tougher week as well. So, Lindsay, I am going to lead us into our final, our final topic of this show or our main topic. And it's something that we've gone over before, I believe, because we had this, we had a previous show. Do you remember we talked about why are you learning a language? Mm, yeah. Mm. So it kind of plays into that. And that is the topic of common language learning misconceptions and okay. i tell you now when i say to people i my job is that i run a website about language learning i hear these all the time i hear so much of these and different angles from different kinds of people for example people who are parents will always go with the age one people mm -hmm. who or like you know when i have young children there's a lot about the the, the age misconception I'm, i'll go into later whereas people who are perhaps a little bit more independent and have tried a little bit more and feel frustrated about books, they tend to fall for the, or go for the immersion one. Mm -hmm. And then there's the people who have nothing to do with the whole thing and they go for your favorite, right? Which is the pointless one. Right. So there's this whole range. And, and as I was researching this, I was so excited to discover that the, like, language learning misconceptions are so common and so widespread and so legit need to be talked about is that they are in wikipedia and the way wikipedia phrases it already is fantastic so it's the general public tend to rely on their own intuitions about language learning in ways they would not with other technical subjects such as physics so these misconceptions are sort of they are your intuition they're sort of your gut feeling mm. and and with language learning because i guess we've all learned a language already you you really, you know, you, you don't think it's a technical subject. So you think, okay, I've got a right feeling about this. However, the intu the intuitions that people have about these, they're really often contradicted, not just not confirmed, but actually contradicted by scientific research. So I thought today we'll run through at least the headlines of these. And in the show notes, you'll find a Wikipedia article. If you want to get into this a little bit more, it can be so encouraging to read through misconceptions about language learning not only because you as a language learner might have fallen into a trap every now and then of you know talking yourself out of it or it was harder for you to start because you encountered these from friends from family from sometimes even teachers um, but secondly as well I think as a if you are on the polyglot side of this, if you are learning several languages and it sort of really becomes who you are, we become ambassadors of language learning and to spread the word and to kind of keep it positive and tell people, you know, it's not as... There are certain feelings that, that aren't right about this. I certainly feel like almost it's part of my duty and I'm very proud and happy to do it. Okay. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Mm -hmm. And do you feel similar? Yeah, I, I feel like, um, you know, th these are so, like looking at the list, so many of them are definitely to do with being young, being a child. And so it stems from that idea of, oh, I've reached 16 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or, you know, okay, well, now that's it. That time has passed. Mm -hmm. So, 
guess I'm not going to learn a language. And, you know, it's no one's fault for thinking that. It's just, you know, it's this kind of society, as they describe it on this article, like folk linguistics. Folk linguistics, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just what we've been led to believe. And um, some of these are just outright dumb. You know, when you when, even when you when you just if you just look at them critically for like two seconds, you realize this is this cannot possibly be true. And you don't need an academic to run a whole scientific study to tell you this. But y somehow our gut wants to believe these things. OK, Should we get started okay. so so at least this first one, I think this first one yeah. is, is a particularly um, to me. <laughs> it, it, it's harsh to say dumb, but honestly, if you, you know, like. If after the rant I'm about to have, you're still believing this, then then I can't I can't help. <laughs> and um, okay, so first misconception is about child language acquisition, and the, it just is that children learn their first language effortless, effortlessly. Hmm. Effortless, Lindsay. No work. You know. You know what else they learn effortlessly? Eating. You know, little children really great at eating. They basically, oh, oh my God, yeah, yeah. They don't go through fussy eating phases. They don't end up with food all over their face. They know how to do it because language. Do you know what I think this is? Oh, marketing. No, I think I think it's because we don't remember. Yes, learning our first language. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. We remember from a time when all of a sudden we can do it. That's well, that's when our memories of of life, I think, start to begin. I don't remember much from before being able to speak. That's true. That's true. And also, you know, like, I think also as adults, we look at children and we don't seem to see that it takes them years and years and years to do it, which mm. is roughly the same time it takes adults to, to do it. And, yeah, you know, like it takes kids years and years to really start, well, not years and years, but it takes kids a longer time than we think to start walking and so it takes them longer time and there's also this long long silent period which surprise adults have when they're learning a foreign language because this is natural the the silent period really is long the silent period being that time where you you're surrounded by input but you don't instantly start outputting you have a lot of input you make a lot of sense of it children are incredibly smart their brains you know like their brains function better than you i guess you think necessarily from their communication abilities but they're still working really really hard and then to to imply that children learn effortlessly and i think this is cynical marketing when we see learn a language like a child on a, on a particular product it, it it riles me up because i think it implies so much about the adult learn language learner that then isn't true because the next one that we get mm. from that one is oh if children learn languages effortlessly then for me it must be really hard and then the idea of second language acquisition that then that means and this is the second one on the list mm -hmm. that younger learners learn languages more easily than older learners that's which, right you know stems from that initial one as from from then learning a second language well it must be easier for for children um, mm -hmm. But actually, it says here that the reverse is true. Older learners are faster. Apparently. Older learners there's, are indeed faster. Yes. There's no link, although that might be the link to the to the study or to the information about that. But yeah, apparently that's the thing. Yes, a lot of a lot of research has gone into this, and in scientific studies, it's been proven again and again that children don't learn languages faster than adults do. Adults are in fact 
equal equal at speed or faster. Not that speed is the main mm-hmm. point, but the the bottom line of both of these first misconceptions is if you're an adult learner, you you're not going to have a harder time. You don't need and from this comes my my absolute bugbear when people talk about school teaching of languages mm-hmm. and in an in an English speaking country. Okay, the example I know is Britain. And I'm okay. thinking about Mark Pendleton from Coffee Break, who in his presentation, in his presentation, at, in his presentation at Langfest, thank you, he said the sentence that made me so happy, and it summed up so well, I think, where, how what I so agree with on language learning is that you don't learn a language in two hours a week. You know, in, in if those two hours are just in a classroom and you are conditioned to believe that this is where you learn the language in a classroom. And then it doesn't matter if you're a four-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 24-year-old or if you're 70. If that's what you believe about language learning, then that's just not how it's going to work. You know, because language isn't a school subject. It's it's so much more than that. And, and to, to reduce it to that... And then to look at the school system and go, oh, my God, language learners are failing, you know, because you're only putting them in one class a week. And then that class makes them regurgitate things that they've forgotten already because they're only doing one class a week. And then to go, I know how to fix it. I put it, I'll put four year olds through the same bad process. I think that's terrible. Sorry, Uh, please go ahead. Okay, okay. So I noticed that when I worked in a secondary school, mm-hmm. um, and I was working primarily, I was I was a learning support assistant was my official job title. And I was mostly in the language department for most of that time. And I would take small groups um, of, of children with learning dis- difficulties, disabilities, etc, out of the main lessons to teach them French or Spanish, so that they had, you know, they could learn more at their own pace. And I noticed that languages were often the first thing to be dropped. Mm-hmm. Even before things like, and I'm I'm not saying that any subject has more or less importance, right? But even before things that you might assume had less importance than languages, such as like art, drama, music, etc. Mm-hmm. Languages would be the first thing to go because they were perceived as difficult. It was almost like, oh, well, this kid um, can't speak English to the level that they should for their age. So there's no way they're ever going to speak in a second language. So we'll take them out of French. And then they wouldn't get French, right? Yes. Now, I, now I understand. I, t- I completely understand that. Yes, it's important that kid A will will say kid A needs more input for English so that they can speak English. They need, you know, they need more input than just the lessons they were getting on the regular timetable. I get that, but I also think that it's there's a lot that can be learned about your own language from learning a second language. And and I have this experience like firsthand, some of the children that I would teach would be really good at French and at Spanish. They, Mm -hmm. they, They got it and they, they were getting it at a good pace and they were remembering stuff as well, you know, and it was just the best joy of being able to, to, to share that with, with some of these students but it was always the first thing that would be taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Like, they still have to go to citizenship. <laughs> it's like, yay, <laughs> you know, PHSE and all of those weird subjects that, that get thrown in. But I think in terms of like you're saying about just taking it down and, and um, having language lessons younger. So to kind of catch you up if, if you're not from the UK, basically, I think around 2014, it was before then, it was only compulsory to do three years of language education in the UK from mm. like 
what we call year seven to year nine, age 11 to around age 13, 14, three years. Before I did my GCSEs, the year before that, it was obligatory to do a GCSE in a foreign language, but they then scrapped that the year that I decided to do two. <laughs> the year before is when they scrapped that. So then oh there was my this, God. Period, this period when it was only three years of obligatory language lessons in school. So to conquer that, they then introduced it at, like you say, kind of age four, I believe, in primary school, basically. Um, oh. Well, no, no, I think this is a good thing. I think this is a step in the right direction mm-hmm. you know, to, to give more lessons. The, the question is what's in those lessons. And mm-hmm. again, from kind of like secondhand experience, I know that in some schools, it's the, the the rule is you can teach in the in the primary schools the rule is you can teach any language living or dead as long as they're learning a language other than english right yeah that's really cool because that it is yeah you could have a teacher who um is i don't know russian or greek right who can then teach their native language um in that school it doesn't have to be french or spanish or german it can be whatever you have access to in a primary school that's yeah. fine and for better but or then, worse, teachers are given the freedom to teach in the way that they think is best. Although this, right, the, yeah. the dark to, side to of that is that teachers are being to put under pressure. Degree. Yeah, but, but then but then the problem is um, a lot of the time people were still employing people to come into primary schools and these people weren't necessarily, um, I don't know, weren't necessarily qualified in the same way. And then what happens if you if you have primary schools that then learn a variety of languages? Oh, in, in school A over there, they're learning Greek. In school B, they're learning French. School C are learning French. And school D have a Spanish teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Those four schools then feed into a secondary school. And then in year seven, so when they're age 11, so they then are put in a French class, let's say. They're having to start again anyway, because these kids have come from different backgrounds where they were learning different languages they weren't all learning French so you've got two groups of kids coming in who already know some French who are then bored because they're having to repeat stuff they already know they're then not learning for two years this was the case with me I didn't learn anything for two years in the first two years of of secondary school in French Um, and then you've got two other groups who are thinking well I've spent the past three four years learning Spanish why am I now having to do French it's kind of it's not a perfect system it's better than it was I believe yeah but it's kind of better than it was but it also feeds you know there's there's the underlying I think two things come into this which is number one this folk linguistics this this intuitive view of language learning Mm. is quite prevalent among the people who make the rules as in education politicians who haven't learned a language by themselves, etc. And but then the the other big misconception that isn't on this because it's not quite um, this gut feeling about how language is learned, but it's more a gut feeling about value, um, and that is this general prevalent view in that we have both encountered in Britain uh, and to a certain extent in the USA that learning a foreign language is kind of pointless, right? Which is mm. what you're saying about the weighting of the school subject. Whereas yeah. for me, having grown exactly. up in Germany, learning a foreign language was considered absolutely essential. And and this is something that's really interesting because I don't know how the in because because this does lie in education in 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 young education, right? I don't know how we can fix that in a country like the UK where 
our assumption is that people around the world do speak English. That's not a wrong assumption. Mm -hmm. That's that's true. The wrong assumption would be that everyone speaks English and everyone or that everyone speaks English or everyone is learning English. If if people around the world don't speak it, they're learning it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, to a certain extent, if you are going to go on holiday to a popular tourist destination, then you're likely to find that you can get by with maybe a thank you and a hello and a smile, right? Yeah. And, and that is super people, valuable. Yeah. And, and for a lot of people, that's going to be, that's going to be fine. That's going to be enough of a, of a foreign language. And so then, so then that question is then still present of like, well, what's the point? Why would I spend my time doing that? And it's so, I don't know. It's interesting because, because then another thing I think that stems from the whole young people being better, which is the next point on this list, is that intelligent people are better at learning languages. Absolutely. Intellig and intelligent people, and, and that's another misconception, another gut feeling that hasn't been proven in science. Right. Because that leads back to the idea of school. If you have two hours a week, the people that are going to pick stuff up are the people that are going to go home, that are going to be studying, that are perceived as intelligent in a school environment. But in reality, they're just probably doing more yeah. on their own back. And we, know, and, and we know that motivation and the idea of habit development does actually a lot more for you. It doesn't matter what your IQ is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. And it's so, interesting that they talk about self-esteem as a better indicator of language learning success when all the myths we've seen so far, all the misconceptions, they feed into giving adults lower self-esteem. And again, mm. um, I'm referring twice now to um, Becoming Fluent, this, this book, because at the start, it's, it's a cognitive science book or it's cognitive scientists um, and their take on language learning. And it looks into self-efficacy, which is the sense of what you can do and what you can achieve. And if you start learning a language with low self-efficacy, so if you think you're not going to get there, if you think yeah. you should have started at age four, so you're already you know lost to the world on this then it is pointless <laughs> yeah yeah because you won't get anywhere yeah. you're setting yourself up to fail mm -hmm. by, by doing that mm -hmm. but i think you're right like self-esteem motivate this is what it says right motivation tolerance for ambiguity and self-esteem are better indicators than intelligence it's so true because you know the majority of people in this world can speak at least one language Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's not because that's not because when we were a child it was effortless. That's <laughs> you know, right. Let's put in effort, even if we can't remember um, that that those days. But the other thing is, I think with 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 a lot of language learning, something it often isn't spoken about is that being able to use a language and and that connection with intelligence. It's also not to do with literacy. Like you could learn to speak and listen and have yeah. a. And, and, and converse in a language very, very fluently and be unable to write or read. That's, that's, that's a literacy skill. Well, those are literacy skills. That's interesting because it feeds into yeah. the idea of immersion, right? Which is the next one. Mm. Immersion. So, so this would be about going to a place and just boom, all of a sudden. Magical, magical. Look, this is how you learn a language. Let me tell you. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> if look imagine you are 30 years old you're already on the back foot right because you're obviously too old and a bit too dumb um this is what all the misconceptions have told us so far so if you're already feeling like you're on the back foot you think you might not 
be able to achieve a goal through sensible means, such as studying, finding yourself a language partner, looking for input that you can understand that is correct and suitable for your level, um, taking wonderful courses like from Lindsay and from Kirsten, etc. No, instead, forget about all that. Don't do what other people do. Move to the country. And that's all you need to do. So <laughs> this is, and, and this is really where Stephen Krashen comes in. I'll put a link to um, a Stephen Krashen interview in the show notes. Stephen Krashen is a name that is very well known in language acquisition who came out with the idea of the comprehensible input. And, and that is really the idea about, and it contradicts the idea of immersion so, so much because the biggest downside of, of an immersion approach to language learning, immersion as in you just just put yourself where people speak that language and you will acquire it because you will be forced to acquire it. There's a kernel of truth in there. Um, and but and we, we have previously sort of talked about this where we talked about the idea of being like a waffle. I remember that. So you kind of have mm. to have, you have to have some structure to you. Otherwise, the, the, the maple syrup of language isn't going to stick if you're not waffle shaped. If you're going into language learning like a pancake, it's all going to fall off. So if you want to stick, if you want, to, you want it to stick, you need to be like a waffle. Or in other words, if you just expose yourself to linguistic input that you don't understand at all, and it's too high level for you, you are unlikely to get better at that language. Have I summarized that? Well, that makes complete sense. Yeah, and I, and I, you I you are living with an example of that right now, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, Ashley, my husband, with me now, learning Spanish, started learning when we were in the UK. You know, with memorized Duolingo, just some basic stuff. Um, got was was doing okay. Did some did some good stuff. Then when we got to Cuba, we were the the accommodation in Cuba. Like you're in a, what's called a casa particular, so you're in like um, people's houses most of the time in a sort of private room. And then you you have to talk to them at breakfast to get what you want. You have to then go out and order food to get what you want because you can't cook in the these casa particulares a lot of the time. And so you're you're talking to people all day long. Now we're in Mexico, equally Spanish speaking country, just the same as Cuba, and we're in our own Airbnb. We've got our own kitchen. We it's a self check in, so mm -hmm. we don't even need to speak to someone to check in. We go to Walmart just up the road to get our food. We come back. It, it, there's no interaction with, in, with, with, with people, with local people in Spanish in the same way that there was in Cuba. So immersion, and don't get me wrong. So when we were in Cuba, Ashley definitely improved. Like I noticed like from the beginning of like um, asking me, oh, is this the right sentence? Is that how I would put those words together and ask that question? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's it. Do yeah. you say it? Oh, no, 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 I'm not, we're not ready. And three weeks later, just asking things outright, without even checking them with me because he was he got to that level of confidence well he had a tutor now, with him all along right well not really not really like i was i wasn't going right okay so <laughs> let's stop here and have it you know but i would i would obviously like correct and help out if he asked stuff but now we're in mexico and that need is gone so just being in a place is not going to be enough mm -hmm. you have to be in a place and want the thing enough to go out and speak to people and probably more than you would in your regular life like when I think about a, a, a normal week for me at home I don't 
speak to that many people. And when I do, it's the same conversations, much like being here mm-hmm. in, in, in many there, right? Yeah. So, so, so just, just being in a place won't be enough. You have to be in a place and be very proactive with it, I think, for that to, to work. Mm, that's really interesting. And also shows, I think, how you have to be, you have to be willing to make, make yourself a bit uncomfortable like the idea that immersion makes the, the immersion is somehow magical and easy is mm-hmm. is completely wrong because you're going to feel like an idiot just in the same way that you do if you classroom study and then go out well it's like the idea of um when you have a tutor and it's like okay so i've got a tutor so now that's that's it the tutor's going to teach me everything you sort of sit back oh yeah like, okay tutor tell me or like okay i've bought the book and i'm by the way i'm totally guilty of this right you've bought the book and you're like okay the kit's on the shelf so clearly oh. i'm gonna be learning do any minute now oh right? yeah <laughs> you know you have to still put in the effort and immersion is a is a beautiful uh thing to be taken advantage of but you still will need to be doing stuff and yes. and, and doing other things beyond just being in a place and, and it is not the best way to learn a language i think that is really where where i want to come down on this is, is that it's not the best way exactly it's not the right. best way there is no best way um but you know like so it's not like immersion is the best is not the best way and something else is it's just there is no best way um don't fall for that best way thing because it also immersion is unpredictable you may fall into a casa particular situation you may fall into a expat bubble situation you don't know in advance it's very difficult to engineer this in the right way unless you're already learning the language and you really you know you you know what you're letting yourself in for so this is a this is a tricky one okay so i'm going to skip over the next one which is that grammar study is detrimental to second language acquisition i think we're just gonna i i think our listeners know that some some grammar instruction in, in, in healthy doses at the right time is, is can be very helpful. Okay, so I'm going to skip to the last two because they're about bilingual education. And I'll tell you, I have I have heard I thought I would have normally thought the first one absolute nonsense. Who who on earth would believe this? However, there has been many reports recently um that I have come across on this happening in the very in the UK on the subject of Welsh language schools. Because there are many schools in Wales that teach through the medium of Welsh. And I think that they're doing it, you know, like in a way that makes my heart sing. Because you can learn geography in Welsh. And the mm. teachers will always teach you bilingually. You will always have the option to do English in there. And they're very aware of the language level of their kids. But many parents have been worried because they think learning the second language slows down your English skills. So the idea is, if you learn, if you are bilingually educated, you're damaging the kid because the kid can't hold more than one language in their heads. And mm. it is really wonderful to see this included in this list um, because there is no such thing as a fixed amount of space for languages in the brain. Languages relate your... And we know this, right? We know this as polyglot type people. We know that learning language number eight is easier in many ways than learning foreign language number two or something like that, because you sort of get a real sense of how language works. You get Mm. a sense of how language is organized. So learners, the way Wikipedia puts it is very well put, learners' first languages and their additional languages become part of an integrated system. So what you're doing by adding more languages is is strengthening all languages. 
and strengthening your general linguistic capacity. I'm no brain scientist. I don't even know the word for a brain scientist. Neurologist, yes. Yeah? Yes. Win. But this makes sense. Like every time that I, like now, for example, we're going to be going to um, Southeast Asia to to finish off this year. Mm -hmm. And well, not this year, this 2017, but like the year of, of traveling that we're doing. And so I've started to look at some of the languages and I'm looking at Tagalog and there's a lot of Spanish connections. There's a lot of Indonesian similarities there. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, okay. That it's almost like, it, like the integrated system thing. I get that. It makes sense. It's like there's connections, almost like, pardon the pun, but the best mind map ever right yeah the mind i completely agree it is the best yeah. mind map ever because you just I don't know, you, you start to intuit language mm, mm. so yeah I, I i don't think it hinders but it's interesting to hear that you're reading this about welsh because welsh and the sort of revival of welsh has often been held up and admired as a really good example of how to resurrect or how to still support a minority or as the catalans say i learned this recently a minoritized language mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it's interesting that actually even within welsh that's often held up there as being a, a shining example of this there's still some some questions about it yes i agree there's always going to be always going to be this this conversation isn't yeah, there yeah it's it is and i guess it is that thing of like again silent period what do we observe in children what do we expect in children what do we expect in children how does it relate to what we expect from ourselves um and there is so much intuition built into that and so many pre you know preconceived notions built into that of what a human should be able to do or what's easy and what's difficult so i can see how you fall into this one um and yes i agree like i think i think they're doing it infant i think the the welsh language school um model is is doing fantastic things that i could have never dreamed of as a kid you know experiencing in in germany yet at the same time it is you know it does scare parents and that's natural because it's different um, but it's wonderful to to have this listed on here and to say like no, it strengthens it. It just it just helps. It never hinders. I mean, understandably, right? If the parent as well is in a situation where they only speak one of those languages, then it's understandable yeah. that they would hang on a minute. Is this a good idea? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, it can be scary. You know. So you you know I I I guess I just want to make it clear like none of this today. It's not a criticism. No. Of, you know, people that, that have believed, I've definitely believed these things in the past. They, they are thought, natural example, to believe, I think. Yeah, I've, you know, I've thought, oh, well, my German would be better if I went and lived in Germany. I had a, a Spanish tutor who actually was one of the big kind of inspirations, I guess, for me to learn more languages, who said that um, this was like in our A2 year, so the sort of final year of A-levels of, of Spanish, who said that, oh, if you went to live in Portugal for a year or Italy, you'd easily pick up the language because of you, what you know of Spanish. And I was like, oh. And it kind of totally opened my mind to the idea that maybe this is now an easier thing than mm -hmm. it was when mm -hmm. I did it for French when I did it for Spanish. So it can be a good thing because it can, if you, if you think, oh, immersion is the best, oh, so I can go and live there and I can learn a language, that's cool. And then along the way, you'll learn 
that no, it's going to take more than just yeah. <laughs> just being in a place, right? So, yeah. And what she was saying was also, you've learned a language that is so closely related to Portuguese that mm. you, you have kind of already learned a bit of Portuguese. It's a bit like a, a German, somebody who is extremely proficient in German yeah. is going to have a much easier time learning Dutch. Yeah, I will have a much easier time learning Dutch if I ever put my mind to it than than somebody who is Chinese who's never learned a foreign language before. Exactly. So, so you know, that's the other side of it: language families. And the, the okay, the last misconception, and I think this is a wonderful one to complete our show with, um, because it talks about the idea of being complete and being finished. And I would like to amend this one almost. So. The headline is, once a child can speak a language, the language learning process is complete. And um, I would extend that to, once a person can speak a language, the language learning process is complete. Learning to speak a language conversationally is only part of the way towards becoming fluent in it. And we know this as adult language learners, right? We know we're never done. Mm. At least we never feel like we're done. Don't, yeah. Yeah. I so, mean... Well, it goes on to say a study of Canadian school children said that it may take between five and seven years longer to master academic language than to master conversational language. Mm -hmm. This is exactly it when it comes to fluency, right? Like, you, it, it doesn't end. There's different sort of levels. It's the mountain. It's the mountain. The, the mountain, yeah. There's base camp, there's the summit, and there's whatever the things in between are called. in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really like, I mean, I never knew the word for I never knew the word chode until recently. I don't know if that is because of my foreignness, because I didn't go to secondary school in Britain, seemingly I missed something. <laughs> but, you know, like there's the, the certain bits that you will never, you will just, you know, like you, so, certain bits you can never acquire, certain bits that you have to still work hard and you still have to be, like I have, I, have, I often cite the example, I've got a French degree, um, yet even when I had just finished a university degree with high grades in French, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been comfortable going out and just having a conversation in the street because I never spent a lot of time in the country. I was really good mm. at academic French. So there's, it's, you, you say this a lot as well. It's like the different variations, the different levels of fluency. So I think this one is, it's a good one to end one as well because there's like no contest. If you, once you are a language learner, I think an adult language learner, because you're putting yourself through this again, it's so much easier to connect with this idea that, the language learning process is not complete just because you can have a conversation. Absolutely. Mm. So those are really, and, and what Lindsay says, I want to just re-emphasize, like we're not saying that these misconceptions are in themselves dumb, although I think the first one, children learn a first language effortly, effortlessly. I think, I think that you need, you need if, if you subscribe to that consistently, like, yes, it's an intuition and it comes in, but I think that is very easily debunked just by, just by looking at it with a questioning eye. The others, I think, are genuinely so easy to go for. So easy to go for. And for me as well, have been su surprises. Because I always thought maybe younger learners are better. Maybe there's something. Because people often have the feeling that their memory fades when they get older. And and I think it comes, it, it's, it's connected to that. And to then see, you know, older learners learn languages fast and when they practice, they retain it just as well. 
I think it's good that there is research being done into this area. So a wonderful, wonderful Wikipedia article. And I would recommend, you know, if you if you fancy reading up on language learning and, you know, click your way through the references as well. There's lots of really interesting studies and researchers referenced some wonderful books. And I want to recommend the book Becoming Fluent as well. And um, Lindsay, I think we've we can both we can both attest to the fact that we've never seen evidence that would support most of these misconceptions, right? Yeah. Same here. Okay, and I think with that, we're coming to the end of, of today's episode. It's been, uh, it's been a bit of a wonderful bag of interesting things. Uh, we've talked about a lot of psychology today, huh? Rewards. Maybe I am a brain scientist. Maybe you <laughs> Maybe you're a neurologist. Dr. Lindsay Williams um, and Dr. Kirsten Gable. <laughs> <laughs> from the University of uh, American Samoa, um, say goodbye. And thank you so much for listening. Any final words or recommendations? Do check out our sponsor, closemaster.com slash CLLP. And do get yourself on your nearest podcatcher, Apple Podcasts, for example. Just open it up in your phone. Make sure you give us show, our show a rating and do subscribe to Language Stories with Lindsay Williams. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited. I am too. <laughs> That's it. So it's goodbye from me for episode 69. Bye. And goodbye from Lindsay. Adios. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to leave us a rating in iTunes and also to subscribe. And please get in touch and tell us what you thought of the episode and our topics. On Twitter, we are at LD Languages and at fluent language so we're easy to find or you can send me an email to kirsten that's k-e-r-s-t-i-n at fluentlanguage.co.uk